Good morning. Happy Rockosophy Saturday podcast recording. Yay! Yay! The spread of our wonderful morning, can I have the rest of that coffee, please? Yeah. Is the pretzel challah that I made last night, which turned out marvelously, and some banana bread that you also baked. That I also baked, that also turned out horribly. <laughs> horribly? <laughs> Wonderfully. Um, that Freudian slip happens because I just remembered the experience I had unwrapping the frozen thawed banana. <laughs> and it was so uncomfortable. You can say it was gross. It was so, it's just like a banana turd. <laughs> and it was so delicious and my senses were so confused. And the bananas, they've been in the freezer for a while, and I let them thaw entirely, and they mix perfectly, and it's very sweet. It's a it's a dessert pastry bread. Yeah? Uh, it's pretty darn close. Okay, well, circling back to that later. The bananas that I had to put into it made me want to throw up, even though they were delicious, because my brain didn't know what to do with the very turd-like shape and consistency. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's wrong with my banana bread? Well... It's super deliciously sweet. It is topped with brown sugar. It's not even made in a pan. It's made in a brownie pan, not a bread pan. It's got chocolate chips in it. And the bananas were so perfectly ripe and disgusting. So, I mean, you and I have different philosophies on baking and food in general. The banana bread that I'm used to is very consistent across batch and consistent across shape and flavor. Because it's my mother's banana bread, and she's, like, got that stuff down to a science. She's pretty intense. She's she's a very skilled cook and baker. The volume that your mother can produce in the kitchen. I know. If I did that, our kitchen would be destroyed. Absolutely. They also have a much bigger kitchen than we do. I know, but you walk in and, like, there's not crap everywhere. <laughs> there's not, like, eight different pots in different stages. No, it's a, it's a science. It's a... It's a Action task force, go! Yeah. Her kitchen is her kingdom in the most gender egalitarian way of saying that. Which is fine, because I kept offering to do the dishes, and she was like, nope, got it. And I was like, but it but it actually is a part of, the, yeah. So, like, a little bit of context. Um, my parents live in Minnesota, and uh, my mom grew up on a family dairy farm. Which we should inherit and start you. <laughs> That's another episode. But right. <laughs> um, both my parents come from families of seven kids, good old German Catholic Midwestern stock. And all of them are very much good at cooking and baking and gardening and creating produce. What are you looking for? My cell phone. I want to prove that I'm not wrong about this while you describe your mom and why her baking is so perfect. Anyway, so a lot of the, the girls in the family um, cook and bake a lot, and my mom's very good at it. That said, my experience of banana bread is a little bit sweeter than your recipe. However, it is very tasty. I had another piece this morning. The chocolate chips didn't even all sink to the bottom. I didn't necessarily overcook it. And yeah. it has one less banana than the recipe called for. Yeah. Can you describe to me your process of cooking and baking? I feel like I'm supposed to tell you all that I do not strictly adhere to the written word of a recipe. And I made this banana bread by glancing at the ingredients, making sure that I had them all, adding them in the right order, and just sort of eyeballing it. 
And it turned out dang delicious is what it turned out. But probably not exactly how the recipe intended. Well, and there's some times where that strategy might not work super well. I've only had to actually throw out a dish once since we lived in this apartment. Which one was that? Oh, it had something to do with cheese. Because they... It doesn't matter. I don't remember. I can't pull it off the top of my head right now. But I don't always stick to the recipe. Sometimes it doesn't work out for me. Most of the time, it does. Like jumping feet first when you kind of sort of see the bottom. I am a recipe person. And... I have a recipe box that my mom gave me as a gift, and she wrote down a lot of, like, the family recipes that I requested, and so I will pull those out from time to time. Um, I thought I was going to make popovers the other day, but I decided against it just because it got pretty late, and... Yeah, I was afraid you were going to be up until, like, 11 o'clock making those things, and then I was like, I'm not going to want to eat honey butter at 11 p.m. Yeah. Well, I, I had... Made a few mistakes with other batches, and, and the mistake I made was that I didn't let the ingredients warm up enough. So then they respond to the steam better, and then they actually pop over. Like, they got really dense. Still very tasty, mm. but dense. They're like little souffles. Yeah. Um, they're very good, especially with honey butter. But that is to say that I am a recipe person. Now, I was thinking about this this morning, and there are times when my approach does not work. Such as, you make really good Toll House cookies, which is a recipe that I have messed up in every conceivable way for so long. You didn't read the recipe! (laughs) Maybe that was it. I feel like I really stuck to it, but you know what? Sometimes I get distracted. Maybe that's why recipes are difficult for me, which is why I'm I'm a much more confident cook than I am a baker. And yet my baking lately has turned out okay. The pretzel challah, although... The two rolls that I made did unravel in the baking soda bath. I still got six individual <laughs> pretzels, and they're good. And the flavor is really good. Yeah. They look a little different than you might expect. They also look like turds. Oh my god! <laughs> what is happening to our kitchen? Oh, they taste very good. They taste very good, and they're not as messy. Alex, if you're listening, which hopefully because you're like a fourth of my listenership, uh. The flakiness of the hollas I've made before, because it's an egg bread, I mean, mm-hmm. we had to make rules. Like, we could only eat it over the kitchen sink or something. Yeah. But the bread, still an egg bread, and, or the pretzel, anyway, very good. Yeah. I also made a honey cheese sauce, Let's dip it in. Which a honey mustard. A honey mustard, but it had cheese in it to add some of that body, and if I could cook it down, then wasn't starving, probably would have turned out a lot better, too. <laughs> Um, well, I was thinking about it, and I followed the exact... So, last night, you made your challah, mm. and... Chabachalom. Uh, Chabachalom. Um, and I made elotes. If you've never had elotes or heard of oh. that, it's mm-hmm. Mexican street corn. And the, like, general idea of it is you have corn on the cob, and then you slather it with, like, sour cream, or we use non-fat Greek yogurt, and then... Like same thing, <laughs> or and then like cotija cheese and like a blend of spices and some cilantro, right? It is. It might sound strange, but it's delicious. 
It sounds delicious. And I followed the recipe to a T, but I realized that I that the recipe would work better if we didn't mix the cotija cheese into the like sour cream spread. sauce. <laughs> yeah. Spread, yeah. Because it was so like crumbly. The cotija cheese is like little crumbles, but the rest of the sauce is kind of thin, so it would just kind of slide off the corn. Yeah, that integrative problem problem is what I have with um or the consistency whatever problem is what I have with my broccoli cheese soup. I can make a bro- uh, a cheese sauce pretty well, but you introduce too much water mm. and then those fats in the cheese they separate. Don't. Yeah, it's not great. So, yeah, I think it's an owning the recipe thing. You can't really own baking because the laws of physics and chemistry are not going to change between you putting that thing in the oven and between you checking on it. Sure. However, if you know what you like in a food and a recipe, your goal changes. Mm -hmm. Your goal might often be to follow the recipe to achieve what the recipe tells you. My goal when I cook and when I bake is usually to use up X ingredient. So this is a wild flaming success (laughs) because it has the chocolate chips that you requested... An extra sweet crisp of um, brown sugar on the top, which adds, like, the coffee cake element. And those two frozen bananas that have been sitting in our freezer for, like, eight months. Fair. Can I tell you a funny story about, like, cake and brownies? Does it matter that I added exactly how much baking soda versus baking powder versus salt? Which was all one teaspoon, by the way, but I kind of sort of eyeballed it. No, probably doesn't. Yes, tell me more. And then I will read from our arriving at your door... Because I'm kind of excited to open this up. Um, my parents have this little rat dog looking thing. He's so cute. He's great. His name is Rocky. No. He's a, well, he was, we were told when we got him that he's a little terrier mix. And he kind of looks like a fruit bat mixed with a cat mixed with a dog. But he's actually a really good small dog. He's like a dog, but small. Yeah. No, he's a really good boy. Um. (laughs) He's pretty cute. There's not a lot going on upstairs. He's not the most intelligent dog you'll ever find. But he's he's really great, and he's a good companion. He's actually a Chihuahua-Pomeranian mix, we found out genetically. He's, I wonder if that's what they look like underneath all the fur. Maybe, yeah. He's a good boy. Anyway, uh, he's also a rascal. So he had eaten an entire pumpkin pie once. He jumped up onto a stool onto the counter and ate the whole, like, interior of the pie. Been there. (laughs) Then he ate, like, an entire bag of beef jerky that was under my bed once. Wow. And, um... Haven't been there. (laughs) This particular time, he jumped up on a stool onto the counter for, like, to get at a freshly made chocolate cake. And my mom, like, puts, like, chocolate chips... It didn't have, like, an icing. It was kind of like a brownie cake. Hmm. It didn't have an icing, but it had a bunch of chocolate chips on top for, like, a topping. Mm-hmm. And brown sugar crumble. Ooh. And Rocky just ate off the whole top. Yep. He didn't eat the rest of the cake. Just the best part. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of course, very concerning because he's chocolate... He's got his eyes on the prize. Yeah, very concerning because, you know, chocolate and dogs, and he's a small dog. Um, he's poor little kidneys. He's, like, 12 pounds, and that's overweight for him. Uh, he just hides bones and they're like they're tiny little bones so you're just like sitting on the couch and you like put your hand under the pillow and suddenly like whoop rocky bone and he just looks at you and you're like when did you have time to put this in like try to go to bed oh a rocky bone yeah he just curls up in your space on your bed and just basks in like Megan's space that's my job now 
very threatened by a parent's dog. He's a good boy. Anyway, so, yeah, that was a little tangent about Rocky going after cake, but... Well, I can understand why, because people who actually follow the recipe and have an eye for what they want in a recipe are masters of it. And now the next time we make... I I really like elotes. I would absolutely do that again. Yeah. Uh, soon, and I will amend the recipe so that we, like, roll it in cotija cheese after we slather on the spread. Ooh, say that again. <laughs> um... The, so, but the goal of the corn was to just make the elotes. It wasn't to, like, recreate the best and the only other elotes you've ever had, which were made outside on a grill. Yeah. It was to just use the corn because we had this corn. And I, I looked at him, I was like, there's no way I'm going to eat two cobs. I ate both of those cobs. Record time. There was just, I left it all in the field. There was, like, cilantro over here on my shoulder. And it was like the, those cartoons of, like, a beaver going after a log and, like, wood chips are flying everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So like... Very Scooby-Doo-esque. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Scooby-Doo. Oh, jeez. What did we learn? We'll take it away. We've been discussing Scooby-Doo because we pulled out some old Scooby-Doo episodes to watch. Yeah, but I feel like everybody already knows that stuff about Scooby-Doo. Like, it's a formula. They use the same animation backgrounds. The classics are the best. Growing up, sitting on the floor in front of your parents or your grandparents' old TV on a Saturday morning. They've got their market down. But we discussed how sometimes they made it able for you to solve the mystery and figure out who it was. And sometimes it's like way out in left field that you could have no chance of figuring it out. Well, but that's just mystery television. Yeah, some like if they're making a film or a cartoon or something and the reader's perspective is that so-and-so gets robbed... Why would you waste the filming time to create two scenes, one where they're actually getting robbed, unless you were going to show that film? Because all you need is the version that the person experiences at the time. So when they're animating, they can just recycle all of these little clips of animation that are totally general and be like, we're not going to give them any clues! And then just be like, oh, look, it was that weird white guy. Well, I thought that was deeply unfair as a child. <laughs> he would. <laughs> because I was being set up to fail. Sometimes it was like this character that you swear you never even saw before. You're not supposed to be able to figure it out all the time. That did not work for my little seven-year-old self. Seven. I remember what I was watching when I was like three and four, which was a lot of Barney. I don't remember. But Barney freaked me out because it had live-action kids in it. Yeah. And things that were cartoons I knew were supposed to be like for entertainment, like books. Things with live-action children... I would ask adults if the kids knew that we were watching them and they wouldn't know how to answer. Mm. So then I started changing my clothes under the bed because I thought that everyone could just show up on anyone's TV at any time. Aww. Maybe that's why I have such a weird guild complex. Oh. So that's what I was doing when I was three. But seven, let's see. What were you watching when you were three? I was a Barney kid too. Um, I think it... I don't know how old I was when it started, but I really liked Blue's Clues. I think it was the weird animation style. I don't think and I had cable when that was big. Well, it was on, like, PBS, I think. Eh, whatever. Or maybe it was Nickelodeon. I, I think it was because I didn't experience the Blue's Clues thing. Yeah. It was all, like, Sesame Street and Saturday morning cartoons. I w actually wasn't a huge fan of Sesame Street. I don't know what it was, but I didn't like it. It was our sister. It was our siblings' generation. So my sister was really into it because it was just what was on. Power I Rangers. Power Rangers. Yeah. Oh, gosh. 
Why do I keep snoring? God, what about the humidity in this room? Well, and then there was the weird, like, Beetleborgs. That was kind of like Power Rangers. Yeah, it was like another Fox show. Oh. I We would watch Frasier on Tuesdays. Oh, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, Third Rock from the good Sun. good comedy. My family's a big Simpsons family. No, you do a lot of Simpsons. Um, Whose line is it anyway? Yes. Yes. I never got into Frasier. I feel like I could get into Frasier now, since he's like a psychologist. And it's just a lot of subtle commentary with laugh tracks. But, I mean, it's really dense. I, I tried to watch it. I mean, okay. We are way off of the baking thing. We are totally off of the we baking We were going to look up the chemistry of baking and why it's important to include ingredients in the right thing. And instead, we just are doing this, which is fine. I think it's a great time for baking in our country. Everyone is stuck at home and experimenting with more cooking and baking. And then, you know, there were those awkward weeks where no one could get yeast or flour because everyone was baking homemade breads. Yeah. So, send us your recipes. I know Katie Massaros down the street was making sourdough. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And our experience with the sourdough, we can talk about some other time. <laughs> it didn't go well. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, happy baking. Happy Saturday, or Tuesday. I think statistically people listen to their podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays. Hmm. Well, pick a uh, number, please, between 1 and 108. 1 and 108. 77. 77. Okay. For my birthday this year, the wonderful Dust in the Wind sent me a book by one of his favorite authors, this is an excerpt from John Kabat-Zinn's uh, Coming to Our Senses. John Kabat-Zinn is a counseling guru in the world of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Which is great. So, yeah. one of the lessons in number 77, lesson in mindfulness. No better place. Lying back and watching clouds, bathing in birdsong or the desert breeze, Feeling the air around the body, the heat coming off canyon walls, the play of light on stone. Or feeling the muscles on the back of your neck tighten as you try to find a parking place downtown in a snowstorm when you are already late for an appointment. Whatever is, whatever is offering itself to you in the place where you find yourself, wilderness, metropolis, or suburb, in a meeting with colleagues or by yourself, this is emboldened in larger font than the other ones, why reject where you are? Why seek elsewhere for excitation, entertainment, or distraction when life is always unfolding here and now and there is no better place and no other time? That, you know, the first sentence, the clouds and the bird song and the desert breeze. Why is this so targeting? That's beautiful. That's a nice moment to end on. Yeah. Just try to wrap that. No, please don't. <laughs> okay, y'all. Have a good week.